This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 137. Today, our special guest is Tasha Blockman, and we talk with Tasha about transformational leadership and the lessons learned during the pandemic. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders and the missing logic in healthcare, so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, we're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home, live and lead intentionally, and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Welcome to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is Tracy. And this is Michelle. Yes, there isn't a new person at the microphone. I just have a frog in my throat. <laughs> She's sounding kind of sexy today, yeah, folks. Yeah, I got my, got my sexy voice on. <laughs> it's love month when this is this show's sharing. Show, <laughs> I got a frog and she can't talk. And I can't talk. Well, there we go. We're a perfect combo today. Oh, I know it. Well, you know what I think it is? I think we're just so pumped because of this last interview we had. Yeah, I think we just had a crash course on what it is to be an extraordinary leader. I think so too. <laughs> yeah, I was very inspired and just like in awe. Yeah, yeah. So we had the great privilege to interview Tasha Blackman, who is the CEO of Cherry Health. And she is from our community where Tracy and I are from. And I was just telling Tracy, I think she was the most pursued after guest we've had. We've been persistent for two years. We're going to get her on our show. We're going to get her on our show. And we did it. And she lives right here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was just, well, she's just a joy to talk with. Yes. But um, she was born to be a leader. Absolutely. It was just obvious, you know, and I was really struck too with her story around the influence of her family, her parents and you know, it just it just goes to show you, like, being a parent's a very important role. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, it really is. I know is. she had some great lines mm -hmm. in her interview about that. Yeah. Absolutely. And as a role model for what we're all about, self-care, and she's got some great examples. So we're anxious for everyone to listen to this interview. Yeah, it's very special interview. We're very grateful for her presence yes. in her podcast. Absolutely. So let me tell you a little bit about Tasha Blockman. She was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and she is a dynamic, collaborative leader, mentor, and coach who brings more than 20 years of business operations experience to her role as president and chief executive officer of Michigan's largest federally qualified health center, FQHC. 
Cherry Health provides integrated healthcare services to 70,000 patients in Barry, Eaton, Kent, Montcalm, Muskegon, Ottawa, and Wayne County. So big spread for her organization. During her 16 years with Cherry Health, Tasha has championed health justice through aggressively disrupting healthcare disparities. Her experience comes from an operational perspective, having established high standards of care, utilizing a health equity lens to treat an individual's health needs holistically rather than symptomatically. She had led several large-scale expansion and development projects and held six positions within Cherry Health before becoming CEO in 2018. As an accomplished and mission-minded leader, which you're going to learn a little bit more about, it is imperative to her that our community is healthier one patient at a time. An eloquent and inspiring speaker, Tasha has a way of being heard on on behalf of those who do not have voice and for those whose voices have been silenced because of barriers that they face. She is passionate and personally driven to ensure that all patients served in her home community and surrounding areas receive the highest quality of care. So without further ado, here is our interview with Tasha Blackman. Well, walk, welcome, Tasha, to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. I cannot tell you how thrilled Tracy and I are to have you here today. Oh, we're so excited. Oh, I'm happy to be here. It's so good to see your face. <laughs> yes, both of you as well. It's been a, it's been a while. It has. It has been. It, it has is. been. Well, you know, you're. I think you're one of the first persons on our podcast that actually was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we want wow. to, I know, I think so. I, kind of, I went through the list. I'm like, they're from different places, but I think born here and raised here, I think you are. All right. Wow. How is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but so our first question is, you know, what do you love the most about Grand Rapids, Michigan? I'll clarify that there's other Grand Rapids in the United States and the world. We're talking about Grand Rapids, yeah. Michigan. What do you, uh, oh, what do you yeah. love the most about it? You know what? So it is my hometown. So obviously there's some nostalgia there with growing up and all of the great memories um, that I had as a child. My family uh, is still here and I've got a great community of friends and colleagues um, that I can count on. So um, I also love the fact that this particular community comes together um, to meet the need of, you know, our community whenever that need presents itself. I think COVID-19 was the perfect example um, of that. Uh, But I would also say that um, the generosity in this community is something that keeps me here. Um, And I learned about generosity from home. My parents, who actually just celebrated their 50th anniversary over the weekend, they were like my first example of what it meant to um, not only give of yourself, your time and talents, but to also find the things that you're passionate about and, you know, donate, invest, give money to it. So, you know, I just, I feel that being a part of a community where, um, you know, philanthropy is so alive and well, it's just, it's just a wonderful place to be. Yeah, thank you for that. That is so true. It it is really what makes, I think, West Michigan and the Grand Rapids community very, very unique. Well said, Tasha. 
And, you know, we were reflecting back when we were uh, going to ask you to be on our podcast, which we are so excited, like I said. And the first time we met you was at uh, in West Michigan at uh, GVSU's Wazork Center's Polarity Thinking Institute. Yes. I can still see your face smiling in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> all those epiphanies all she those was epiphanies having. epiphanies happening. <laughs> it so was I, just all over the place. You know, I, I just... I was like, wow, this place is like the best place for philosophical thinkers. And I, you know, I've always known that I was, you know, someone who was philosophical in my thinking, Mm -hmm. but polarity kind of helped me to memorialize that with a name, you know, to call Uh it polarity thinking. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And we often say that people kind of know, they, they, they know the experience of it. They can appreciate the power of opposites and being in a whole being able to hold them together, but they often oh, yeah. don't have a name for it. So we're really trying to bring that to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now it was an enlightening and insightful training for me. I think polarity thinking kind of starts you down this path of thinking from a both and standpoint, as opposed to like an either or. Uh, for me, it moved me away from being so black and white um, in my thinking. And I, I don't think that I tended towards black and white thinking, but you know, sometimes you can be, but it, it also gave you permission to leave space for the gray. Um, I think uh, the other thing that's great about polarity thinking is you go from thinking I'm right and you're wrong to maybe there's some truth on both sides in both perspectives. Yeah. 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 I think that's one of the most powerful things about polarity intelligence or polarity thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Me too. And then uh, Tasha, you know, you've, successfully have grown uh, Terry uh, Health, you know, tremendously since that time several years ago. At the time you were COO, now you're CEO. Uh, What polarities have you had to leverage to achieve those outcomes? Are there one or two that really pop out at you? Oh, yeah. You know, I think we've been successful as an organization, kind of elevating our profile in the community. And while I was the COO, our COO at CEO at the time was fantastic. I mean, he really grew the organization from nothing to the largest FQHC um, in the state of Michigan. Um, So, you know, I think we've always considered ourselves to be Grand Rapids best kept secret. Um, But I'm I'm totally honored to build on his legacy and, um, you know, in the legacy of the team that that came before me. They're amazing. So I want to just call that out. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the heroes, um, that are working behind the scenes and on the front lines, kind of making all of this happen. But regarding your question, um, about polarities that I've experienced, um, you know, over the last few years specifically, I would say that there have been so many, where do I start? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> where do you start? I would say, uh, the first one that comes to mind, um, has to do with our quality efforts, so there's been a shift in healthcare from volume to value. Um, and I think volume to value is like one of the greatest polarities I think that many of us are dealing with in, in healthcare. Because as a, a healthcare organization, your goal is to make sure that everyone who needs it has access to, you know, quality, affordable healthcare. And the polarity exists within determining, okay. Do we provide care to everyone who needs it, knowing that that might mean 
we can't afford to provide the best quality of care or do we provide the best possible care to the number of people that we can provide it to understanding that maybe you can't serve as many people so you know this is a polarity you have to kind of make decisions about you know where where from a um, mission orientation the organization sits and how you'll proceed forward but neither one of those options are wrong so that's where the polarity is you could make Mm -hmm. either choice um so you know from from my viewpoint i've kind of done a little bit of both but providing the best possible quality is how cherry health has has really excelled in our quality scores we've gotten um you know acknowledgments from uh, both administrations, um, recent min- administrations, and, you know, we're just really proud. We, we just received the um, National Top Quality Award um, for our health outcomes, and this is our second year in a row. So in our 30-year history, we've only received it twice. So that's something we're really, really proud of. Oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, the margin emission Mission. polarity is alive everywhere, right? And oh, my that's goodness. A, a, yeah, that's a significant polarity. That well, is a tell- great one. That's a great one mm. because, you know, no margin, no mission, you know, but then sometimes your mission might suggest that you know, there, there are going to be some lost leaders, okay? There might be programs that don't cover their costs, but they're so near and dear to the core of your mission that you've got to move forward with those. So I would mm-hmm. say margin mission um, is definitely another polarity. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right up there, right? <laughs> right up well, there t- for sure. Oh, yeah. Kind of at the top of the heap. (laughs) Drives a lot of things, right? It does. Well, tell tell our listeners just a little bit more about Cherry Health, just so they kind of have a sense of it. You've just said a little bit, but tell them a little bit more. So Cherry Health uh, is a federally qualified health center um, offering comprehensive health care services to under-resourced people across uh, our community. Um, Just to put it in perspective, about 96% of our patients fall under 200% of the federal poverty level. And what that means is um, a total income for a family of four of under $49,000 a year. About 75% of our patients fall under 100% of the federal poverty level, which is a family of four at less than $24,000 a year. Can you even imagine? Um, so no. as, as the largest federally qualified health center uh, in Michigan, we co-locate multiple services um, in one site so that we're removing the barriers to individuals accessing health care. So for example, most of our sites offer medical, dental, behavioral health services, and other services uh, in the same location. We treat patients, and you'll appreciate this, Michelle, we treat patients using an electronic medical health record. So your dentist, for example, can see, you know, maybe a deliverable that the patient hasn't met in medical and can give that patient some encouragement. Hey, medical, you know, needs you to to follow through on your mammogram. So we want to get you set up for that before you leave today. So, you know, our goal is to, to ensure that there's no wrong door 
um, into our organization and that patients receive quality care uh, when they do uh, re receive care at Cherry Health. But I think some of the more non-traditional services that we offer that I think people are surprised to hear about, um, we offer vision care at Cherry Health. We have pharmacies in some of our sites. Um, we provide substance use disorder treatment. Um, we've also got a residential reentry program, which provides, um, you know, support for individuals transitioning out of the Federal Bureau of Prisons and back into society. So we've, we've got a few programs um, supporting those uh, residents as they return to community. We've also got school-linked and school-based health programs where we're literally located in schools providing primary care visits. And we've got our, our school-linked program where we travel to 80 schools across the community providing dental and vision services so that our kids that have access to the services at Cherry Health leave their vision visit with glasses if they need them. At no cost, wow. to, at no cost to the family. I should mention that as well. Wow. Oh, that's great. Yep. Wow. You, you've done so much. I mean, yeah. Michelle and I were just saying, we remember Cherry Hill when it first started. It was, or Cherry Health. It was just like nothing, like compared to anything about what it's doing right now. Like it's phenomenal what's happened over time. Yeah. Do you know we've had kind of a changing of the guards within the organization? So we've got many um, staff that have been here 30 and 40 years who are starting to retire. Right. And one of our staff said, mm. I remember when there were 50 staff members here at Cherry Health. And, mm -hmm. you know, now we have a thousand staff members and, you know, we're serving tens of thousands of patients across the community. So it has grown a lot. Yeah. And it, and it was very dependent on volunteers in the beginning. I remember that. Yes, that is very true. That's very true. Yeah. I was actually able to learn that history through um, someone who is involved in the Rotary Club. And he mm -hmm. shared with me, you know, how some of the leadership was um, donated from some of the hospitals yep. that came together in response to um, some of the um, individuals that were coming to the ER that did not have access to primary care. And um, look at it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I think it's just wonderful. I do too. Right. And so, well, obviously so needed, right? Yes, like, absolutely. Uh, oh, it's just such a great service for the community. Now you've been the CEO since 2018, I if I understand correctly. That's right. And you're really recognized organizationally and in the community as a transformational leader. And like we were just saying, I think your face has been on every magazine in Grand Rapids over the last couple of years. Like, hey, we know her. We know her. Oh, my She's goodness. our friend. Wow. Yeah. Well, and well deserved, Tasha. I mean, yeah. you're an incredible leader. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast and just to share some of your wisdom. And so, but how would you describe your leadership style? So what I would say, um, you know, first, before I describe my leader style is I have a team full of amazing leaders. Like the people that work for Cherry Health are committed to the mission. So, you know, sometimes inspiring passion in people is very difficult, but many of our staff come to Cherry Health 
with that level of passion and excitement about the work. So in, in essence, it makes my job easy. So I just want to call out that our, our staff are just amazing and they're filled with passion and they go beyond, um, you know, what is expected of them to ensure that people have access to the care and the services that they need. So I, I want to say that first. But in terms of my leadership style, it's really an interesting question because I would say that my leadership style changes a little bit depending on what's happening around me. So I may have, you know, a combination of a few different uh, leadership styles. I would say, though, for the most part, I'm a transformational leader uh, who values steward leadership. And a steward leader um, is someone who takes care of the people, the resources, and the responsibilities under their influence, understanding that none of these things belong to them um, and that it's really not about them. Um, while they've been placed, the steward leader, in like a leadership role, um, they they really connect to the fact that the greater good is what they're aspiring towards. Um, so I would say that my faith kind of leads me down that path. So I think that's why I would say that I'm, I kind of have a steward leadership philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of being a transformational leader, which is probably my dominant leadership style, um, I would say that I am one who encourages um, the team around me to set audacious goals and then achieve those goals. Um, I would say I try to inspire them to see the bigger picture and then connect that bigger picture to their why um, so that they remain inspired and activated um, in, their, in their work. Um, I would also say that uh, I motivate the employees to innovate um, and make the organization a better place for our patients but also for our greatest resource, which is the team, um, you know, and, and that has to do with really embracing change. So I would say that I am someone who's not afraid of change, who embraces change, who encourages change, um, and who understands that, you know, even when you attempt something and it doesn't work, that, um, you know, you learn something. There are learnings that you take away from every time you fail. Um, and I like to call it failing forward. So I can talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit. We would yeah. agree. Yes. <laughs> we have the same philosophy. Fail, fail forward. forward. <laughs> fail forward. That's right. That's right. It's always a lesson there to be learned, 100% right? 100% of the time. Like, <clears throat> I mean, 100% oh, yeah. of the time. Well, because you won't learn the lesson you need to learn if you don't fail. If you do everything correctly, you're not learning. Yeah, my you're just repeating. It's so true. My dad um, has a saying that nothing beats a failure but a try. So if you're if you're failing, you still you have to continue trying. Some people give up, and you know you'll yeah. never accomplish anything if you give up every time you fail. And I think failure brings mm -hmm. about character. You know, it helps to establish who you are sure. as as a leader. And I think that it can help with humility. And I think humility is very important in leadership. Oh, that's a good yep. point. Yep. Good point. So what do you think has helped you most as a transformational leader and becoming the leader you are today? You know, I, I really think it's so many different things. I think my parents, 
um, you know, they really understood the assignment. Um, they raised me um, not to be one that was coddled or, um, you know, they, they would always kind of push me towards leadership opportunities. Um, they supported me in those opportunities. I think that my parents saw something in me and um, they really tried to, to nurture that. Um, so, you know, I, I think that I'm emulating what they did for me. They were encouraging. They wanted us to try different things. They supported us, you know, with those things. It wasn't about them. And, and my parents were teenage parents. I mean, they had three of us by the time they were 20. And like I said, just this weekend, they celebrated 50 years together. So we grew up together in a lot of ways. But, you know, I, I think that their influence on me just kind of growing up made a huge difference in my leadership style and how I lead with compassion and kindness and patience um, and impatience because I'm, I'm impatient for a result. So let's, let's do what we need to do to, to get things um, moving in the right direction. But I would also say that my executive coach and my former CEO, Chris Shea, had a lot to do with my leadership style as well. Not that their leadership styles were also transformational, but I think they identified early on what my style was and then helped me to become more of that. They kind of gave me the confidence to, to develop um, and become more of that, which I really appreciate because I know other people in their leadership journey, they may not have someone who is willing to support them and lift them up as they're you know, starting to develop a specific style. Um, but I, I had that support. So um, I am forever grateful for um, all of the opportunities that I've that I've had. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just so important to have strong mentors and coaches, people that will that see in you what you may not see in yourself or that will give you that exactly. guidance um, to yes. be bold, to take the risk, to to grow and mm -hmm. develop yourself in a way that you you may not yourself. Right. Where you may hesitate and hold yourself yeah. back. I think it's well, so and, and to be you. That's what I loved about what you said too. They weren't trying to make you something else. They were really seeing what was in you and bringing it out. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's big because I think sometimes leaders view themselves as I have to fit into or emerging leaders think I have to fit into a certain mold and I don't fit the mold. And I think that I kind of had that thought before as well. Now I've always naturally been kind of chosen as a leader. It's not something that I'm gunning for. It's not even anything that I'm ambitious um, in, in terms of wanting to be the leader, but I've always organically ended up in that, that role. And I'm just thankful that I had people around me who said, you know what, you didn't choose the job. You didn't choose the role. This role chose you. Now lean into it. And, mm -hmm. and that's been probably one of the greatest um, opportunities that I've experienced is having people say, be more of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way to lead. That's right. <laughs> Got to be authentic, right? Got to be authentic. So Absolutely. what, so what advice do you have those for those emerging individuals, right? That are stepping into leadership? You know, this is a, uh, I think that it really depends on where they are in their journey, but if they're someone new to leaders to leadership or they feel like they want to be a leader, I would say become an excellent follower first. 
learn what it means to take direction from others, to plan, to execute, to support, to be loyal, you know, learn all of those competencies that, you know, make up what it means to be a follower. Um, because I, you know, one of the things that I, I think that was great about Chris Shea and I, my former CEO, is that he knew that he could trust me as a follower. So he gave me more and more responsibility over time, um, which, you know, allowed me to demonstrate some competencies to make even some mistakes, to be perfectly honest, mm -hmm. but then to show him how resilient um, I was and, and that I could rebound from some of those mistakes and that I learned, I failed forward. So, so I would say that that is something that the individual should do if they're thinking that they want to be a leader um, is to, to become a, a great follower first. I think if you're kind of moving towards leadership, work to develop that self-awareness. I think the best leaders are very self-aware. Um, you know, know thyself um, is what people say, know thyself. Um, you know, understand your strengths and your weaknesses and how, you know, either one of those overused can present um, trouble for, for the people around you, not just if you're leading an organization, but if you're just a part of a team. So I would say develop that self-awareness, um, knowing your, yourself better. Emotional intelligence. I think that people should take the EQ test many times throughout your career because life happens, situations change you. You may move to a new role where, you know, you go from being someone who has all of the answers to an individual now who has to ask the right questions. I think, you know, that those things are really important to understand how your strengths can be leveraged to, you know, your advantage while not allowing your weaknesses to hold you back. So I think knowing your EQ is, is very, very important. And it can also help you to chart a path towards really, again, you know, conditioning that leadership muscle that you're trying to, to develop. Hey, I said it earlier, having an executive coach um, was a game changer for me. I would suggest that, you know, anyone that can um, invest in an executive, a coach, um, it should be someone that is an objective third party. That's my preference. Shouldn't be someone that you necessarily know, um, but that can help to guide you, someone that you can talk freely about some of the challenges that you're facing at work and they can help give you a different perspective and help you to, to plot out um, a plan. I, I personally feel like it expedited my growth um, as a leader by having an executive coach. Doesn't mean that I couldn't have gotten there with trial and error, maybe bumping my head or hitting a couple of brick walls. I think my executive coach saved me <laughs> from, from some of that. So, um, I would suggest that. Um, lastly, I would say make your desire to lead known. Um, and, you know, if opportunities to lead are not available within your organization, join a club, become a member of a committee, join a board, volunteer. Um, you know, if you're 
if you go to church or if you're at school, take opportunities to, you know, develop some of those leadership skills that will serve you in life in general. So whenever I hear people say, well, they don't have any leadership opportunities within my organization. Okay, I'm not suggesting that you go find a new job. But what I am suggesting is, you know, take some initiative to find other places where you can lead. And what I say with that is don't just say, hey, I want to be a leader. I'll go anywhere to lead. Figure out what you're passionate about and then go and, you know, engage in a program that allows you to really invest yourself into moving uh, your passion project or whatever it is forward. Because I think then you get the best out of yourself. Part of the reason why people say, we really feel you when you talk is because I'm so passionate about this work. Like Mm -hmm. I see my parents in the eyes of every single patient that walks into Cherry Health. So there's a relentless pursuit in making sure that people have access to the services that they need. And, you know, like I said, my, my path may not be someone else's path. I, I served in many roles before becoming the CEO. And, you know, I didn't have this ultimate goal of being, being the CEO. I, I just didn't. But I'm thankful that this opportunity um, came because I'm able to live my passion every single day, every single day and share that um, with others like, like you all and, and your listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, you can definitely hear your passion <laughs> and not just for Cherry Health, but for leadership. Like right. oh, really, oh. it's just a part of who you are. It's woven into the fabric of your being. You can mm-hmm. tell it's, mm-hmm. it's really refreshing and really it is. great I to think hear. part of my calling is actually to help other leaders reach their full potential. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, people see me as a confidant. They can talk to me about the issues that they're facing. You know, I've helped folks negotiate salaries and all all of these things. And and I just want to be what I did not have because, you know, although I have my executive coach and my CEO, you know, there were other times when I really wanted to go to someone, try to be what I didn't have for others. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, this is a really hard time, right? COVID is a hard time. It's really difficult for leaders. We're talking to leaders all across the country. It's a, you know, all the clinicians are struggling, but all the leaders are trying to hold them up and they're struggling too, right? So it's just, it's just very difficult. And I just, I just, you know, how has the COVID-19 impacted you as a leader? You know, it has been, it's been something else. I mean, it has been traumatizing on some level. Um, I think that it has been sobering. I think there's been a tremendous amount of humility. Um, I think that there's been a level of compassion that, um, you know, I think you always present with those things, but they've been heightened um, mm-hmm. during this time. And And for me, you know, during the pandemic, there was no playbook, you know, so there was nothing that I could access that tells you how to lead during a pandemic. So what I really had to do was, you know, I had to trust my gut. I had to trust my gut. And I I had to make sure that even though my team, they were experiencing trauma, they were, they were very fearful um, you know, that 
I had to to really think kind of long game. And it's hard when you're in the middle of a pandemic because people are putting literally one foot in front of the other. Yes. And um, thinking about the long game, making some really tough and controversial decisions within our organization really positioned us to be in a better place coming out of the pandemic than we were going in. And it was it was tough because typically I will consult, for example, with my leadership team because they may see blind spots that I don't see. But I think because, again, of the environment at that time, it just, I couldn't be led by fear. I couldn't be led by um, what was right in front of us, which at that time people were dying, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Lots of people were dying. Um, you know, so so I just had to follow my gut and I'm I'm thankful that I did because, you know, I, I think I've always followed my gut, but I think my gut, you know, became even more, um, it, it became even more obvious for me that, okay, you, you know how to make a great decision, even with limited information. And the truth is, I read something from Colin Powell, which said, if you have 40% of the information, you can make a decision. And I never thought of it that way because typically I want to make sure I have enough information so that it's well thought out and it's thorough and all of that. If you have 40% of the information, you can make a decision. And now I actually lead with that coming out Mm. of the pandemic. That if I have 40%, I don't even Mm. need half, 40% of the information, I've got enough information to be able to make the decision. And, you know, that's been really a freeing um, opportunity for me because it, it really has shifted the way I view risk. It's shifted the way I view um, growth and experience. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think if we have a lot of information, sometimes we overthink. Yes. Absolutely. Right. And we get bogged down in our own minds. And I think that's one of the gifts of the pandemic is trusting your leadership, trusting your instincts around what is right needed right now and across the thinking of the long game at the same time Mm. that balancing the short game and the long game is a polarity, right? It's a polarity. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just getting out of our way. And I think we've heard great stories about gains and changes that would never have happened without the pandemic because we had to get out of our own way. You <laughs> we have to stop overthinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and and I think you to your point, you you have to stop overthinking, but I think that part of what I try to bring to my team is that we're thinking horizontally and vertically all the time. Horizontal yeah. and yeah. vertical thinking all the time, um which helps mm-hmm. you to think long long game, short game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So true. So true. Oh, those are great examples. <laughs> Anything else that you learned as a leader? I mean, in addition to you that, know, that you want to share? One of the things that I learned about my team is that they're resilient. You know, they are so resilient. When you think about the fact that at the very beginning of the pandemic, you didn't know if you were exposed to COVID-19, that, that if, if that was a death sentence or not. We had staff that came into the office saying, you know what, this is why I went into healthcare. This is why I went into 
you know, healthcare for the under resourced because I want to make sure that they have access to the services that anyone else will have access to. Um, and it was just amazing to me that they buttoned up their, you know, lab coats and went out there and they tested, they put really their own health at risk, the health of their families at risk. And I, I think that their resilience was just amazing to me. So, so being able to lead such a resilient team, even in the middle of their fear and the fact that they were traumatized over and over again, um, has been one of the most humbling experiences, I think, of my, of my life. Now, I tend to not be a fearful person in general. Um, so that's just not something that, um, it's not that I'm never afraid, but it's not a dominant feeling hardly ever in my life. So, and I think that's because of my faith. So I think that my faith, um, you know, also took center stage during uh, the pandemic, which which really helped help me to, to get through. Um, what other things did I learn about myself um, as a leader during the pandemic? I think that I learned that, you know, being a leader is not about, um, you know, the thousands of decisions that you're going to make on a day-to-day -day basis because, you know, we've all got decisions that we make day-to-day, -day, but it's about the impact the total impact that you're making and how you how you view that impact through a kaleidoscope you know because sometimes we can be so laser focused on one thing but the the pandemic taught us you know what we've got patients that are here for example receiving services but now they're out of work so they don't have food they don't have housing they don't have all of these things that we refer to as the social determinants of health and we were able to tap into this community in ways that we never have been able to. And I think our community is very philanthropic, but I mean, we were getting people housed same day. I mean, it was just incredible, the response that we received. So I think during the pandemic, I was inspired by leaders like Tina Freeze Decker and other leaders who, you know, made some really tough decisions during this time, but who also had the foresight to say, Tosh, you know, make sure you're still practicing self-care because this is, we're going to be in this for the long haul. So having people around me that reminded me, okay, you need to exhale because you're not going to be any good for your team if you're not putting your oxygen mask on first before helping the people next to you. So, so that's, exactly. that's what I, I think that I, I learned, too, is that pacing yourself, um, especially in a crisis, is really important because I saw many people around me hit a brick wall and have had a very hard time coming back. But because I got that yeah. advice, I think I was able to, you know, to avoid yeah. some of those, um, you know, some of those brick walls. Right, right. Yeah. Well, what a role model for that. And you know, that is exactly where Tracy and I turned our attention when the pandemic happened, is we turned our attention to the leaders knowing they're already burned out. We knew they were burned out before the pandemic. In fact, I was thinking yes. I was thinking back, Tosh, you were one of the first leaders we called 
when we started investigating that to even validate with you that burnout yeah. is a real, <clears throat> it's alive in our it's work. A it's a real yeah. thing. And, oh my gosh. Um, so we've really been focusing on helping them dynamically balance their professional life and their personal life, recognizing that through the pandemic, it was going to be really, really important. So tell our, list, right. tell our listeners how, as a CEO, you take action to experience the positive outcomes of your professional life and your personal life, because it is a polarity. What are some of the things that you do to stay positive in both of those poles? Well, part of it is I, I'm not a perfectionist, so I don't expect uh, perfection in things. I mean, I know that there are highs and lows with life. So I think that I manage my own expectations about, you know, what life is and how even the challenges that we face, you know, add to who we are as a person. It adds to our level of empathy and, you know, all of the things that make us who we are. Um, I think that from a positive outcome standpoint, I'm, I'm not always the best at, at that. You know, I'm still a work in progress um, in terms of having that balance, you know, myself. Um, but, but what I will say is that I was raised to, um, to really have grit, you know, and the fortitude to push through even when things get hard. So I, I think about myself and just my leadership journey, it's, it's about not giving up. It's about continuing to keep going even when everyone else is tired. When everybody else can't do anymore, you kind of keep going. So, so for me, I would say, you know, what has helped me to take action is this grit um, and this kind of fortitude to get things done and to be relentless in getting those things done. Um, you know, I, I also would say that, um, you know, as a, as a leader, we sometimes set goals, we operationalize those goals, we might even achieve those goals, and that last step, we don't spend enough time celebrating when we achieve the goals. So one way that, you know, you can take action is by celebrating when things go well. I think we put a lot of energy into things that don't go well. Let's get a little bit better at celebrating when things are great, when things do go well. So that's something that I've been trying to do, especially with the burnout that you mentioned earlier and with what we've been experiencing. I've really been identifying and illuminating some of those small wins organization-wide because I think that that's so, so important. Um, I would also say in terms of positive outcomes, there are some things that are not negotiable. So for me, <laughs> my kids, you know, like I did not miss my daughter's competitions. I did not miss any of her events or her milestones. You've got to stand for something or you're, you'll fall for anything. So, you know, I would build her events into my work schedule so that mm -hmm. I could experience that positive outcome. Um, you know, with my personal life, you know, I spend time with my husband, even during the pandemic, we've had a date night every week, because those things are, are very important for me, they help me to reset, um, and to refuel. 
So, um, so those are some of the things that, that I feel I do to kind of keep, keep that, not exactly the balance, but, you know, that helps with um, ensuring that positive outcomes are the result. Well, it is balance, Tasha. I just want to challenge you that what you're describing is dynamic balance. It's yes. not it's not 50-50 balance and that's where I think a lot of leaders have a hard time wrapping their head around this whole yes. notion about being balanced. But if you lean where you need to lean at the time and you always make sure yeah. you never drop your family negotiables, you you it's a dynamic balance that you're describing that I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and forgiving yourself when you do drop something. Exactly. You know, I think I, I think you have to have in mind that I'm going to do what I can today. And you know what? If I if I miss it today, it's okay. It's okay. But again, you have to have some of those those non-negotiables. I would say that I also have great friends who keep me in check. You know, if they see that I'm starting to fall out of balance, they'll say, "Hey, I think it's time for a spa day." Or, you know, "Hey, you know, aren't you down to, you know, Singapore on your bucket list? When are we going to go? You know, so, yeah, yeah. so, you know, I have friends that also kind of keep me focused on caring for myself, that self-care that we all talk about. So I'm, I'm very grateful to, to my village. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. and everybody needs one, right? Yes, absolutely. Everyone yeah. needs one. And in these these difficult times, what we're seeing is there's a lot of sacrifice on the personal side. Yes. And that's what we're trying to bring to people is that if you don't do the self-care, if you yes. don't do it now, yes. there's not going to be a calm sea anytime soon. No. You can't wait for that. And when you're going under one, two, three, right? Like yes. you got to, when you realize that you can't even keep your head above water, it's the time to take action. You can't wait. You have to do even small things. Small yeah. little things can really be helpful. That's that wall that I was telling you all about earlier yeah. that people have hit. And one of the things I said to my staff literally in March, what time off do you have scheduled over the next six months? They looked at me like, what? We can't take time off. Oh, yeah, you're going to take time off. <laughs> you're, everybody is going to plan some time off. And we're going to be so in the thick of it that you won't think of it then. So I literally asked my team and had to make some of them take mm -hmm. time off, you know? So, so it's how do we care for others too and make sure mm -hmm. that, you know, they're not hitting, slamming into a wall um, that will be hard to come back from. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Well, what do you what do you notice they need the most help with? The people that are slamming into the wall, <laughs> what do they need the most help with? To or what are some patterns maybe you've noticed that they struggle with the most? You know, I think sometimes when you're in a position where you care for others, you sometimes put yourself at the back of the line. I mean, it's just like your natural affinity. It's not even something that you're conscious about. It's just something that you do, which is why you can go to the hospital and see nurses smoking. Well, nurses know that it's not okay to smoke, you know, but they, they smoke or, you know, you can be a healthcare leader like myself and still need to lose weight. I mean, there are things that we all struggle with because we're putting other things before caring for ourselves. But, but that same grit that we present at work with, we have to present 
in our lives with that as well. And that's that whole self-care piece. So for me, what I've done Mm -hmm. is I have a personal trainer. Now that's early in the morning. Okay. It's like a five 30 wake up call. Um, but it's something that I really need to do to make sure that I'm able to be here for my daughter and my children and for my husband and family, you know? So I, I think that, you know, when you're charged with leading people, sometimes you forget what it means to take care of yourself. So I would say that that's, that's one thing. I think that also in a pandemic, sometimes you want to be the ultimate example. You want to be super employee, um, which means I'm going to be the, the first one in, last one out of the building. And that's really, I'm not going to take any vacation. That is not setting a good example. We want our staff to reset. We want them to come to work excited about the work. We want them to have an opportunity to spend some concentrated time with their families. And when we present this, you know, kind of image that to be a leader means that you give up everything about yourself and you only care about work, I think we do our entire, you know, community a disservice. We need to make sure that we're modeling what it means to take care of ourselves, to get better with putting ourselves at the front of the line, um, and to ask for help because we've got staff members who are willing to pinch it. There are people who have, you know, shared with us that they want to lead, start to delegate. And I think that sometimes when you're in a crisis, you get into this position where you want to take care of it because you know it's going to be done, right? Well, no, that's where you leverage the staff that you have around you to be able to help to, you know, get some of those tasks completed. And I happen to be fortunate because, like I said, I've got a team full of people who are ready to go. I mean, they're ready to take take whatever task I delegate to them and run with it. So, um, you know, I think that, again, sometimes we do our team members a disservice when we hold on to things because it doesn't give them an opportunity to opportunity to shine. And that's, that's kind of a different way to, to look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think those are great points. Yeah. Great points. Wow. (sighs) That's been so much fun. I just love listening to you. Can we just do another hour? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about all the listeners out there that this is going to be so inspirational. Oh, that's what I'm thinking about too. It's just been so much fun. (laughs) Well, now we're at time for the missing questions. So we have a few things just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit as a person outside of your leadership role. Nothing you can't handle. Pretty easy questions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But the first one is, what do your husband and you do to have fun? So we have like this mindless TV exercise during the pandemic. Um, We've been watching Married at First Sight. So it's kind of like our thing that we do. Um, So every Wednesday night, that's our date night. We will typically either make a meal together or um, get carry out from a restaurant um, during the pandemic. And we watch Married at First Sight. And then we laugh and talk about the craziness that is unfolding (laughs) before us. So so that's, that's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> well, hey, that's what you need, right? <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine, right? So oh, anything yes, that's going to make you laugh is good. All right. Absolutely. Okay. 
Now, what would be your ideal girl trip? So my ideal girl trip right now is Dubai. So um, I would love, love, love to go to Dubai. And I've been a lot of places with um, my friend Jay in particular. We travel together very, very often. Um, And our last trip was Costa Rica. So um, I'm sure that Dubai is is in my future um, once the uh, surge lifts. I'll probably do it within the next six months. Oh, that'd be oh, great. how exciting. Wow, that's really exciting. Good for you. Yeah, that is exciting. Okay, this is our wrap-up question, Tasha. You know, so we're bringing polarity intelligence to healthcare, and it's a combination of understanding polarities, having really good dialogue skills and relationship okay. skills. Mm-hmm. And um, and as you know, in polarities, you it's an and in both, but you always have a preference poll. Yes. So we want you to tell us what your preference poll is with the following polarity as it relates to having meaningful dialogue. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Advocacy or inquiry? You know, so advocacy or inquiry? Probably inquiry. Okay. Probably inquiry. Um, You know, because once you truly understand what it is that they're facing, and that inquiry, in my opinion, gives you that insight, gives you that background to understand what it is that they're facing before you can then go and advocate for them. Too often we advocate for people because we think we know best without even going to inquire with the people, what do you need? How can I support you? So I would choose inquiry over advocacy. Yeah, I think uh, you're a natural question you ask questions naturally as well. So that's what preference polls are all about. Doesn't mean you don't yep. do both, but right. yeah, inquiry. Yeah. Well, you got to have both and that's the way to get it. That's right. That's the way you get it. That's right. You're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Tasha, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful interview um, about leadership, about grit, about your personal experiences and and, um, you know, just really about you, but also the importance of team. I mean, we just covered all kinds of ground today. We did. We yeah. did. Very enlightening yeah. and inspirational. I just Aww. loved it. I can, I can see why you're such an incredible leader. It just Aww. oozes out of you. Aww, thanks, Tracy. I, I appreciate the opportunity to share with you all and, and hope that even if, if one person takes away something positive um, from this talk that we've done our job. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you again. And thank you to all of our listeners out there for, you know, being with us with another episode of healthcare's missing logic podcast. And we will see you next week. And Tasha, we hope to see you in person soon. Yes. <laughs> yes, you will. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.